and welcome to Dr. Who Panel on the Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, your host, welcoming you to episode number 125 of Dr. Who Panel Panel. It's my 125th episode. I can't believe I've been doing this podcast for so long. Thank you to those of you who have downloaded this episode, and thanks for listening. In this episode, we are going to cover the news like we always do. We'll take a look and see what new releases have come out over the past month or so, since I haven't put out a new episode since uh, the tail end of last year. So we'll take a look at the news and then we're going to open the Pandorica on Doctor Who Comics issue number 4, which just came out this past week from Titan Comics. We will see what is going on with the 13th Doctor and the 10th Doctor in this uh, series. And then I thought we would, or I would, represent a, an interview I did back uh, quite a few years ago with artist John Ridgway. Those of you who have been reading Doctor Who Comics for quite a long time, will recognize the name John Ridgway, of course, because he is somebody who did some amazing stories uh, with the Sixth Doctor back in Doctor Who magazine back in the mid-80s. And John is once again busy. He has uh, uh, done some wonderful, amazing artwork once again with Cutaway Comics. He is doing a four-issue miniseries featuring Omega, the classic Time Lord villain, uh, which I always think of the Three Doctors when I think of Omega. And uh, I just thought, for those of you who haven't, or who may be fairly new to Doctor Who com- or Doctor Who panel, the panel, uh, a lot of my past episodes aren't available on your feed from like iTunes, for example, just due to storage constraints. I've had to take down some of the older ones, but a lot of the interviews are still really good and really interesting. And I thought, with John being busy now doing this Omega miniseries for Cutaway Comics. It'd be a good time to represent this interview with John, and maybe uh, those of you who haven't heard it before, or like me, who has a really bad memory and doesn't remember things from years and years ago, may want to listen to this interview with John Ridgway and just hear about how he got into doing comics and uh, his time doing uh, Doctor Who, and I hope you enjoy that that as uh, well in this episode. Thank you for downloading this episode, uh, and now without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Let's go check out some news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, since I haven't released an episode uh, in the, this year of 2021, let's start by going through and uh, getting you up to speed as to what releases have come out so far this year. We will start with, on Thursday, uh, January 7th, Doctor Who magazine issue number 560 came out over in the UK and also digitally as well. Sorry for you in the States that uh, buy it off the newsstand because you didn't get one yet. But let's jump ahead to Wednesday, January 13th. That is when Doctor Who Comics issue number 3 came out from Titan Comics. That was it for the month of January. Flip into February. Thursday, February 4th. That was when Doctor Who magazine issue number 561 came out over in the UK and digitally, which features uh, part 3 or part 4. Part 4 of The White Dragon, uh, excellent comic strip by Scott Gray. And then on Wednesday, February 10th, just this past Wednesday, Doctor Who Comics, issue number 4, which is the finale of the big 10th Doctor, 13th Doctor crossover, uh, came out. And you'll be hearing a review of that here shortly. So that is it for the the releases. I'll get you up to speed on that. As far as Doctor Who comic news, there was some comic news that came out in the middle of January. Titan Comics announced that Missy was going to get her own series. I'm going to read you just a little bit of the press release. If you go to DoctorWhoComics.com, which is my Doctor Who comic website, you can read the release there. 
Following on from the huge success of the Doctor Who comic crossover adventures, starring the 10th and 13th Doctors, as they battled iconic villains like the Weeping Angels, Scythra, Sea Devils, and Autons, this new story sees the series expand its horizons even further with the first appearance of the 12th Doctor's arch-rival Missy. Missy wages war on the Doctor, but this time she's not alone. Can the combined brilliance of the 3rd and 12th Doctor avert her deadly scheme, or will she get her hands on a secret weapon capable of wreaking havoc on the universe? This special story, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Master's first appearance, will feature more Doctors and Masters than ever before. This new series will also see the return of the critically acclaimed creative team behind the Doctor Who comics, with Eisner-nominated writer Jody Hauser, illustrator Roberta Ingranata, and colorist Enrica Angiolini, all part of this unique and exciting project. Uh, this series, uh, issue number one, is supposed to come out in April of 2021, and uh, if you go to com, you can see the different varied covers for the issue, or for the first issue. Um, this comic is going to be kind of taking the place of the Doctor Who comic for four months, I believe, um, before they get back into doing more Doctor Who comics, and uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun, so make sure you check that out. Another comic you should be checking out, it comes from the company Cutaway Comics. They are a company, small little press uh, company over in the UK that have started releasing some mini-series based on Doctor Who properties. If you listen to Panel to Panel, you heard me review Litten, which was their first release, uh, first mini-series that they started. The second release, or the second series that they're doing that just came out is called Omega, based on the uh, evil Time Lord that we all know. Um, I remember him from the Three Doctors uh, story from the Third Doctor era. And they're going to be doing another miniseries set in the world of Paradise Towers that will be taking place sometime after the Seventh Doctor adventure that took place at Paradise Towers. Uh, I highly recommend these comics. They're a lot of fun. They're really neat. Um, and if you go to cutawaycomics.co.uk, you can order them yourself. I believe Gareth ships them worldwide, and uh, you can probably even get digital copies uh, from the website. I haven't checked on that, but make sure you check it out. So with that, that should get you all up to speed on the news. Now let's uh, take a look at a comic that just came out recently. It's time to open the Pandorica for this episode of Panel to Panel. And this time around, we are going to take a look at Doctor Who comic issue number four, which is the finale of the big 12... Let's try this again. It's time to open the Pandorica on this episode of Panel to Panel. And this time around, we're going to take a look at Doctor Who comic issue number four, which is part four of the story called Alternating Current. It is also the finale of the story arc, and we are going to take a look at it. This story was written by writer Jody Hauser, with art by Roberta Ingranata, and coloring by Enrica Aaron and Giolini. Let me give you a previously, since I didn't do a review of the third part. With the Sea Devil invasion prevented, the two doctors, along with the fam, Rebel Scythra Queenie, and human resistance leader Rose Tyler set off to rescue Tesla and Edison from the clutches of the menacing Scythra mothership. But will this be enough to fix the paradox and restore their reality? 
So there you go. Basically, the last issue, uh, the doctors and fam were able to take care of the sea devils trying to invade the earth. And now they need to set about writing what was set wrong. And that they need to get the timeline back to the way it needs to be. Um, at the end of the last issue, they revealed that they need to go get Tesla and Edison back from the Scythera who have kidnapped them on board this mothership. And so basically... The uh, whole group, along with Queenie, or the Scythra Queen, who has been trying to help them, who wants to stop her race from messing up time and uh, taking over the Earth, she wants to go and help stop them. So basically, they come up with this plan of they need to somehow get onto the Scythra ship, find Tesla and Edison, and steal them back. And hopefully by doing that and stopping the Scythra, that will reset the timeline back to the way it's supposed to be. And that's basically it. I don't really want to say too much because that's what the rest of the issue is about, is them trying to get on board the Scythra ship, get Queenie on board, um, get Tesla and Edison off the ship back to Earth, and hopefully reset things back to the way it should be. Um, I think everybody can kind of figure out that's basically what happens. Um, there's a couple, one little slight plot twist along the way, but even that one's one you can kind of see coming. Uh, hint, it involves Queenie. But otherwise, things kind of get wrapped up uh, with a nice, neat little bow by the time you get to the end of the story. And uh, you do have a, a cliffhanger at the end of the, or the final page of this issue which says we'll return, the 13th Doctor will return soon. So we know we got a little ways to go before that. Of course, with the Missy 4-issue miniseries coming out, using the same creative team as the Doctor Who comic, you know it's going to be at least four months before we see a Doctor Who comic again. I thought this issue was okay. Here's my review. I thought this issue was okay, uh, as far as the story goes. I thought this whole story arc was kind of okay. Um, I believe I mentioned earlier when I reviewed an earlier issue of this, I would like to see the 13th Doctor stand on her own merits, or the 13th Doctor and fam. I really don't think we need to, needed to have another story with the 10th Doctor to try to draw in more readers. I, I'm guessing um, that is what Titan was thinking by saying if we have the 10th Doctor in there, People that aren't fans of the 13th Doctor that were fans of David Tennant might jump on and read this comic just because the 10th Doctor is in it. I didn't. I don't think it really added anything by having this paradox in there. Um, sure, it's nice to see do two Doctors interacting with each other. However, we've already seen that uh, with these two Doctors. I don't think we needed back-to-back -back stories. Um, even the BBC knows that having multi-doctor stories, too much of that is uh, not necessarily a good thing. So, um, this fourth issue just kind of summed everything up, kind of wrapped everything up. It wasn't all that impressive. Um, I don't think the story arc, now that I've read all four issues beginning to end, I don't think the story was all that great. I was not a big fan of it. I would say it was just an average story. Um, the artwork, I, I will give uh, Roberta Granada credit. I love her artwork, and I think she does an excellent job capturing likenesses and facial expressions. And uh, her, her artwork brings some life to the story. 
Uh, I also think Enrica Angiolini's coloring is amazing on this. I'm happy to see that she, uh, I just saw that she's going to be doing some work for DC Comics, which I think is great because I think she is a very underrated colorist. And I hope she stays doing the Doctor Who comic, and uh, I hope to see more of her amazing coloring. So there you go. Um, I'm giving this story a C. I I'm, I'm wasn't all that impressed. I'm hoping that the next story arc that we get in Doctor Who comic will be something a, a bit livelier, a bit more energetic, because um, this one to me just wasn't all that exciting. And I, I know Jodie Hauser is, is a, a good writer. I know she knows her Doctor Who, and I know she can tell good stories. So here's hoping the next one is a home run, whereas this one was just kind of a single in baseball terms. And that is my review. Exterminate! If you're a Doctor Who comics fan, especially somebody who's been reading Doctor Who comics uh, for many, many years back in Doctor Who magazine days, if I mention the name John Ridgway, the first thing you're going to think of is Voyager. John's amazing artwork and his vast uh, planetscapes and just wondrous, uh, amazing illustrations are just something that uh, he he drew some stories that were just too big to be contained on the small TV screen and a small size Doctor Who TV budget. And he's somebody who is one of the first artists that I always think of when I think of Doctor Who comics. John's still busy. Um, he is currently doing a four-issue miniseries for Cutaway Comics about the villainous Time Lord Omega. And the first issue has already come out from Cutaway Comics. You can order it through cutawaycomics.co.uk. I believe they ship worldwide, so uh, you might want to check that out. But I thought now would be a good time to represent an interview I did with John Ridgway from quite a few years back. Uh, but I still think it's relevant because you get to uh, learn about John, about how he became an artist, how he got into doing Doctor Who for Doctor Who magazine, and much, much more. So, without further ado... Here is my interview with John Ridgway. Hello, Mr. Ridgway, sir. Speaking. First of all, I just want to say it's a pleasure to speak with you. I've been a, a longtime fan of yours ever since, uh, even before my my uh, Doctor Who comic reading days back in Hellblazer days. Right. Right. So I just wanted to uh, chat with you a bit and learn some more about you and uh, talk a little bit about your career. How did you get started doing uh, illustration? Uh, really, it goes back as far as, well, further as I can remember, really. Oh, yeah? I, uh, I can remember drawing, uh, little matchstick figures and scenes like that, and then, uh, copying things out of, uh, the comics I got as a kid, a kiddie. And it just went on from there, just, um, there used to be a comic in this country called Eagle, I don't know whether you're familiar with it. Oh, Yeah. Yep, I have heard uh, of it. You've heard of it? Uh-huh. Uh, well, it was really a sort of super-duper production at the time, and it uh, it influenced me, and I think it influenced a lot of artists in this country. Oh, yeah? Um, it was it was quite uh, a large comic, uh, about the size of um, a tabloid newspaper. Oh, okay. And it was only in full-color uh, photograph view. Um, is really high quality, and it um, it was very eye-catching, very um, 
very interesting for a, for a young kid to to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artwork was uh, was exceptionally good at that time, uh, and with the, the the printing which improved over the years, it uh, it became really something to 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 aim for in comics. That's what um, I, I was. I didn't have a an artistic um, background or training. It was just um, a case of seeing what I liked and, uh, and trying to do something similar. Wow. And uh, so you just always been a lifelong drawer? You just enjoy drawing? Yes, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I used to draw all the time, really. I get up early in the morning before school, before going to school, and uh, and draw stuff at that time. Um, generally, uh, one of the main characters in Eagle was Don Dare, a pilot uh, of the future. Uh-huh. Uh, spaceships. Uh, it was very much a sort of um, British flash garden. Sure. Uh, and it, it really, it really interested me because of the the background of the story, the the way things were designed, the way things were drawn from models. Um, it was it was a, a sort of Flash Gordon from Star Trek, Star Wars sort of thing at that time. Mm-hmm. Very, I think it had a very great influence on things like uh, Star Wars. Um, I'm not sure about Star Trek, but uh, certainly Star Wars. With a lot of the the only Star Wars films being made in England, I think a lot of the people who worked on it were directly or indirectly influenced by Dundee. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. So, uh, sorry, uh, no problem. Uh, so, how did you, uh, going through school, decide to to turn your uh, interest in drawing into a career? Uh, I didn't really. I, um, I wanted to draw comics. I wanted to go to art college and pass the entrance exams to go to art college, but my parents persuaded me I am. to write engineering. Um, so I became uh, uh, an engineering draftsman at first and then went on to design engineering systems, uh, air conditioning, ventilation, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, going on to combustion engineering, um, electrical circuitry, that sort of design. Okay. Uh, so I, I, but I, I always kept up the interest in, in drawing. I always wanted to draw comics. So um, finally, when I got the opportunity to to draw uh, comics, I took it up um, part time, drawing evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with the decline of the the particular branch of engineering I was working in, which was um, coal-fired combustion equipment, as coal the coal industry declined in this country. Okay. Uh, I could see the company was going to close down, so I took the opportunity when it came along to uh, to start um, drawing full time. I've been drawing for a while on um, a magazine called Warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I met uh, and worked with Steve Parkhouse, who was he was a writer working on Doctor Who, uh, the Doctor Who magazine that is. He was writing the uh, 
the comic strip which was featured in there. Uh-huh. And when they were looking for a, a new artist, he suggested me, and I started drawing the, the Doctor Who stuff with him, okay. with him writing it. I see. Were, had you watched Doctor Who at all uh, as it was airing over over there? Yes, I've, I've watched quite a, a considerable amount of it. Um, I missed the very first story, uh, but uh, I saw the first uh, introduction of the Daleks, who were quite famous. Um, I watched quite a lot of the uh, William Hartnell stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... Um, I gradually lost interest in it. I think it became a bit uh, a bit silly. Oh, okay. Uh, but when uh, P- um, Patrick Troughton was coming in as, as Doctor Who, I knew Patrick Troughton's um, acting from various things he'd done on uh, children's television over here. And uh, I was a bit of a fan of his, so I, I started watching it again. I watched it more or less all the way through until the end of the Sylvester McCoy uh, period. Oh, wow. So it uh, got quite a, a background in Doctor Who. <laughs> uh-huh, sounds like it. So um, so when you uh, got involved in doing the comic strip, you were you were working with Steve Parkhouse, and uh, what was it like working with Steve? It was It was really good. Uh, having worked with him on Warrior, he knew the sort of things that I like to draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as science fiction went, I uh, was a big fan of um, Al Williamson. Okay. Uh, uh, and I had uh, quite a few things Al Williamson had drawn, uh, which had been published over here. Some of the uh, tarot comics which had managed to reach here. Uh, and I I collected the, uh, the Star Wars um, Sunday strip, which was one in the uh, in the, the Sunday Express over here, Sunday Express newspaper. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember reading those in, in my local newspaper. Uh, yeah, well, this was this was running at such a small size. It, it was a it was a shame that his artwork should be shrunk uh, to such a, a painfully small size. Mm-hmm. But um, I later collected the. Uh, the black and white versions of the the daily strip and um, the Sunday strip. Uh, got a collection here. <laughs> Not quite sure who did it actually. Oh yeah. It's uh, it's a nice collection to see the stuff in black and white and quite large. Most Cochrane publisher, West Plains, Missouri. No really. Yeah, there's three strips to a page, and then uh, a full page for the Sunday strip. Uh huh. So it's uh, it's really nice to see his work at that size. Oh, I bet. Uh, but uh, when Steve was writing uh, Doctor Who, he was really pressed for time, and uh, he just used to fold me the the idea for the episode through and what he wanted to see on each page, and I drew it up uh, from my imagination. Uh-huh. He uh, he put the script to it afterwards. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say you have one heck of an imagination, sir. Well, he was telling me to draw things like a, um, a sailing ship in a, in a, in a storm uh-huh. and uh, sea monsters uh, leaping alongside it, and uh, I just took it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, 
his idea was for the, the ship sailing to the edge of a waterfall, uh, a full-page picture. Um, the waterfall um, is the edge of the world, with the, which is supported by uh, giants and elef- riding elephants and the elephants standing on, on tortoises. Uh, and, you know, and you take it from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good way to work. Um, he just sort of threw everything he could at me. But it was, it was fun to, to to work in some of the references to people and other strip cartoons, which I liked at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, in Voyager, which was probably the most famous story I drew. I, I think so. I think that's one that, no matter if you've uh, read any Doctor Who comics at all, I think Voyager is one of the ones that pretty much everybody is, has read. Yeah, yeah. I, I, he asked me to draw a Leonardo da Vinci type helicopter, which was a sort of screw on top. So I drew it um, based on a, a sort of uh, Western wagon, you know, the, the, the flat uh, flatbed um, wagon they use in the Westerns. Uh-huh. Uh, with a coal fired boiler on the back uh, to power it. So, you know, just <laughs> sticking things together, which. Uh, Yes, it's so outlandish and strange, and yet trying to make it working within the context of the story. It was it was really fun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, in one picture, I managed to get um, a reference to Prince Valiant, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a reference to Bern Hogarth, who was a favourite of mine, drawing Tarzan. And um, there's a famous section in there, three pages, uh, which is based on British character Rupert Bear. Oh yeah, uh, and the Rupert Bear annuals with octosyllabic couplets, um, which uh, is a feature of Rupert Bear or the Rupert Bear annuals and books. Mm-hmm. So he, he he was doing all sorts of weird things. I, I was really really sorry when he he stopped drawing it. Steve really is the best writer I have ever worked with, Arnold. Terrific writer. Uh, I, I I think uh, you and Steve being paired up together are some of the best Doctor Who comic strips that have ever been published, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I'd love to work with Steve again, but he doesn't do any writing now, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, you worked with quite a few different writers in your time on doing the Doctor Who comic strip. Uh, you worked with Alan McKenzie, who took over from Steve. Yeah. And... Uh, well, because he um, had previously been the editor on the Doctor Who magazine, and he got quite a background in uh, Who mythology, if you like, from the television series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he tended to base his stories more on the television series than, than Steve ever had. Uh, got to draw things like the Daleks and um, Cybermen, um, Draconians, that sort of thing. Um, it was interesting, um, but it wasn't as it wasn't as outlandish and strange as, as uh, Steve's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, I felt I was sort of straining to find uh, things to draw, which uh, uh, I really hadn't had to strain when uh, when I was working with Steve. Mm-hmm. It was a bit more of a challenge then. It was a challenge to maintain the same degree of interest. I mean, with, with Steve, uh, it was 
it was fun all the way. He, he, he got up in the morning, he started drawing, and he was chuckling to himself about what he was drawing. Uh-huh. Um, it never really, I never got that working on uh, on anything after that on, on Doctor Who. There was very little that was uh, that was humorous to that extent. Uh, I mean, Doctor, um, Steve came up with uh, with the idea of Frobisher. Uh, and then when I was talking to him, he came up with this, this idea that Frobisher had got stuck as a penguin. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he developed this complaint called Modern Warfare. <laughs> and, uh, I think he'd, he'd introduced it because Frobisher previously uh, had been a, able to change his shape, his size, his mass, everything. He, he could become just about anything. It was a bit too powerful. Uh-huh. So he stuck him in the prison. He would have been able to escape through the keyhole. Uh, but uh, as a penguin, he he was more or less stuck like that. It, it, it was fun to develop the character. <laughs> it was fun to change him from uh, being a fairly realistic uh, penguin into a sort of uh, anthropomorphic penguin. Um, uh, and he really became a, a sort of character that. I think the readers either loved or hated. <laughs> I, I think it's more on the love side than is the hate. I think Frobisher is one of the the comic strip characters that the the vast majority of Doctor Who fans, if you ask them who Frobisher is, they can tell you yeah. who he is. <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's a, an interesting facet of the this the strip cartoon that uh, something. The character, which is virtually a strip cartoon only, is known by to the fans of the television series. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of taken on a life of his own. Yeah, yeah. Well, at one time I wanted to draw a strip for Marvel UK, uh, who were doing the magazine. Uh, I wanted to draw, to draw a strip featuring um, several of the characters which. Um, Steve had created uh, in the past for Doctor Who. Uh, there's Fro Wisher, Doctor Ivanov, Asimov, and Cyril, the editor, drawing it. Uh-huh. And I wanted to draw a, a comic strip with uh, featuring them running around the universe in the uh, Australopithecus um, Da Vinci type helicopter, a sort of um, space time machine in the form of the. Uh, that Astral Arbus had used for um, mm-hmm. a Voyager story. Sure. It never, it never happened, but... Um, oh, that reminds me, one, one thing I did... One other strip I did enjoy drawing was the Boss Chronicles. Oh, yeah? I, I don't know if you ever came across that. It was... Uh, I drew one of the issues out of six, which was done for uh, Marvel's epic line in the States. Oh, OK. Uh, and you got a, a character who was... Um, an alien in that. Um, who, uh, it, it's interesting when you've got an alien in a strip like that, or where you've got someone like Spock in Star Trek, uh, you get the, the sort of insight into the peculiarities of the human race. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for, for a little time, you, you, you're allowed to see the human race from an outsider's point of view. I think you got that uh, with uh, Boz in the Boss Chronicles and also Frobisher in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to uh, to to see 
the human race from an outsider's point of view. Uh-huh. But, uh, I, I see. Well, I, I don't know whether I don't. I've not uh, really followed um, Doctor Who in the uh, in the magazine for a long time. I don't know whether the publishers haven't reappeared in there. Um, I think he's shown up a, a time or two. There's been so many stories in between the the time that you've done it and now. I I believe he's shown up a couple times. I know. I, I got to draw. Um, uh, part of a series for IDW, uh, featuring the, uh, the sixth Doctor and Frobisher and Perry mm-hmm. as the, the main assistant at that time. It was nice to actually get back to uh, to drawing that. Yeah, did IDW just reach out to you on that one and ask you to to do the story? Yes. Yeah. The, um, you were trying to get as many of the original artists uh, from the from the strips uh, to to draw. Again, some of the original artists, I think, are probably dead or past drawing now. But um, several of the artists who've drawn it up to the present day, uh, obviously, are still drawing it. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of the artists who was available. I know for for somebody like me who's been a long time Doctor Who comics reader, it was a real treat to to see your artwork back in a, a Doctor Who comic again. Um, almost 25 years had gone past since you had drawn the sixth doctor. Uh, how, what, had, how had uh, drawing changed for you in those 25 years? Uh, I, I believe I read something about the. Did you do that story digitally? Yes, partly digitally. Oh, partly. Um, uh, I usually draw um, things in the normal way, um, on bristle card, uh, and then just, um, to send it off, I'd, I'd scan it in and uh, put it on disk or send it by uh, Dropbox or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but I was having trouble uh, drawing the, the faces, uh, and it was rather, uh, it, it was wanted in a, in a rush to be coloured and then uh, lettered, so I, I had to find another you know, to draw the faces. So I, I drew, um, scanned them in, and uh, added the heads um, by drawing over photographs. Okay. So in that sense, it was done digitally. Okay. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd used that technique. Um, for drawing several covers already for IDW, and um, I'd done another story featuring um, oh, what's it called, Torchwood, mm-hmm. for um, the British publisher uh, Titan Books, where uh, I'd found it takes a it takes quite a long time to actually get back into drawing the likeness of someone, and if you haven't got the time to 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 develop the likeness. You have to find some other way of doing it. And that, was, that was my approach to actually uh, trace the um, the faces. Sure. But when you're drawing someone like Doctor Who, you I, I found it, it, originally drawing uh, Colin Baker and then Sylvester McCoy. Uh, you have to develop something which is a simplified way of drawing the face, and it's. It's a sort of caricature, but it's something that you have to reach a point where the 
the readers will accept it as as that person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really have to look all that much like the person. And as you go along, you can change it slightly. And perhaps unconsciously, you change it slightly. Uh, And it it no longer looks like exactly like the character, but it's acceptable. If you look at um, Al Williamson drawing um, Secret Agent Corrigan, you see that Corrigan changes from the original form into a very much a likeness of Al Williamson himself. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was a feature of his work. You, you, your work takes on um, a likeness that you, you, you're not really... Uh, aware of it having changed from uh, from what you've originally intended. One time I was drawing uh, Babylon Five for uh, uh, for DC Comics, mm-hmm. and um, it was when Bruce Boxleiter had taken over from um, oh, I forget his name. Uh, Michael O'Hare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I hadn't got very much reference for uh, Bruce Boxleiter, and I found him drawing him. <laughs> Even though I was drawing it from the photograph, his face was gradually changing into someone someone else. I can't remember who the other actor was, but uh, it, it, was, it was taking on a life of its own. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's something where, if it's not working as it sh- should do, it, it, it won't work that way. You, you, it's, it's a very funny, very strange thing. I found that, that if I'm drawing someone's hand, if if I haven't got that hand right, I may as well rub out the entire hand and arm and start again yeah. to get it right. You have to do it sort of spontaneously rather than uh, than struggle to try and get it because your brain starts to work differently when you when you're studying something. Um, you start to analyse what you're doing, whereas if you're drawing it spontaneously, you're not even thinking about what you're drawing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that sounds a bit technical, but that's, that's really how <laughs> things work. It sounds like it's kind of one of those examples of overthinking something, putting too much thought into it. That's, that's probably it, yes. Yeah. It's, um... I've I, I found that, um... I, I'm left-handed, so I, if I want to draw a picture of someone right-handed, I can look in the mirror and draw my left hand as his right hand. Oh, Okay. Uh, if I want to draw someone's left hand, I, I have to draw my. Um, I have to draw my my left hand as his right hand, and to do that, I have to draw using my right hand, which I've learned to do. But it's no longer the same sort of principle at all. Uh, obviously, I have difficulty using my right hand with being left hand, left-handed. But it's the way you think about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, such a case of um, overthinking. It's a, it's a case of thinking about it in a different way altogether. Sure. Uh, it's not right in the back, really. If you, if you think about, oh, running downstairs. If you ever run downstairs and think about where you're going to put your feet, you fall. Uh huh. And it's it's very much like that. You know how to do it naturally, or you got a you got a problem. 
Uh, speaking of likenesses, when they when uh, you had to switch from drawing Colin Baker to Sylvester McCoy from the sixth to the seventh Doctor, was it a, a challenge drawing Sylvester McCoy's likeness compared to Colin Baker's? Not really, no. Um, Colin Baker was really the first um, first work I had to do when I was trying to draw a likeness. Um, Having established how to do it, it was easier to apply to to uh, Sylvester McCoy. Um, and it, Sylvester McCoy has a much more of a caricaturable face. His um, his features lend themselves far more to to, to, to being drawn as a caricature mm-hmm. rather than Colin Baker's. Sure. Um, I had to draw um, Peter Davidson at one time, and I found his face very, very difficult to draw. Oh yeah, he, he seemed to have a very bland face compared with um, Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy. It um, his face was very difficult to draw, but uh, you could very easily pick out. The features on uh, Sylvester McCoy and, and and draw from that. Mm. Plus the fact that I, I uh, got quite a lot of uh, photographic reference from John Freeman, who was editor on the uh, the magazine at that time. He'd been on to uh, to photograph Sylvester McCoy and sent uh, pictures through for me to work from. Okay, well, I'm sure that was a big help. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, it's a case then of deciding which way you want to draw them, whether you're going to do a Frank Bellamy on them or whether you're going to do your own stuff. <laughs> I don't really know Frank Bellamy's work, but uh, he was famous for doing um, Doctor Who illustrations for Radio Times, which is uh, you know um, a magazine covering the uh, what's coming on television mm-hmm. and radio. He used to do everything using dots. Um, he, he'd draw the picture and then all the shading was put on in dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his work is amazing stuff. Yeah, oh, you know it then, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. He, um, he was quite an influence on me at uh, one time. Again, he was another artist who worked on Eagle. Mm-hmm. So uh, things, things go round and round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when when they had switched over to to the seventh doctor, uh, the your your um, the amount of Doctor Who stories you did kind of became less and less. Did you feel like it was time for you to move on at that point when they had switched from one doctor to another? No, not really. No, I started uh, working on the Hellblazer for DC Comics. Oh, okay, and um, the way uh, Hellblazer started. It, um, they were doing a double issue. Uh, the first one was a double issue, I think it was about uh, 60 pages, or 40 pages, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, as it happened, I'd taken a fortnight's holiday, a two weeks' holiday, um, in Austria. So I had two weeks cut out of that deadline. Um, and I was, I was always running up two weeks late. Plus, I was trying to draw Doctor Who, and then I was asked to pull back uh, this two weeks I was behind for DC Comics. 
and it meant I was pencilling and inking about eight pages a week. Wow. Uh, which was too much. It, it eventually made me ill. <laughs> but uh, I got in touch with... Um, I, I knew I was going to have to give up one, uh-huh. one or the other. And uh, I got in touch with the, uh, the uh, Marvel UK about uh, Doctor Who. And uh, I was told that um, as, it, as it, it has stopped appearing on television... You were likely not. It was likely that the magazine wouldn't continue much longer. So it was a, you know, the choice was made. There. I guess yeah, it's kind of makes it an easy decision which way you're going to go. Yeah, as, as it happened, I, I stopped doing the Doctor Who, and then I stopped doing uh, Hellblazer as well. I've had enough of Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. Did, did Hellblazer come out of your working with Jamie Delano on Doctor Who magazine? Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Delano was uh, a close friend of uh, Alan Moore's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan Moore was, uh, um, you know, the big new bright boy at, um, at uh, DC in uh-huh. Marvel. Yeah. Uh, so they, they listened to him uh, when they wanted someone to, to create a comic uh, based around John Constantine from Swamp Thing, uh, who... Uh, Constantine at that time it was um, Alan Moore's creation. Uh, he suggested uh, Jamie Delano. Mm-hmm. Delano suggested me for the artwork. It, uh, it's just one of those things the way it works. Plus, uh, at that time, uh, I'd already started doing jobs for uh, uh, for, for Marvel Epic and. Um, several other things which didn't appear for quite a while for Marvel. Uh-huh. I was also doing work for Eclipse Comics at that time. So I was sort of developing and spreading out into the American market, which was the natural thing to do uh, for British comic artists at that time. Sure, artists and writers both, I think. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I was mainly watching what was going on with the artists. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, writers were people who just couldn't draw, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Uh, looking looking at your career, what you worked on, you worked on a, a big variety of stuff over the years. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, funnily enough, uh, I haven't worked on very many uh, superhero comics. Although uh, superheroes, in a way, was my um, thing that. Pointed my way into comics with the the Marvel Man Miracle Man stuff uh, I did for for Warrior, uh-huh. which has come out uh, through Marvel in the States recently. Yeah, don't know whether you've seen that. Yep, I have. It was really nice stuff. Again, that was that was nice stuff to work on. The um, it, it was quite a a new venture for me to draw. Uh, the superhero characters like that. I was a big fan uh, of uh, Macro Boy, who used to draw Captain Marvel Junior. Oh yeah, yep, yep. I love his stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, and when I was drawing um, the the Marvel Man character and uh, Young Marvel Man and Kid Marvel Man, I was I was trying to get the sort of feel that he got to the the way Captain Marvel Junior flew. It, it was almost a sort of swooping, gliding action. Uh, his, 
the way his work came across to me that uh, it was almost like dancing in the air, really. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was great stuff. I used to really love his stuff. I used to get uh, the four cent comics over here when I was a boy. Oh yeah. And then uh, it was changed to um, well, when four cent stopped doing the, the Marvel, Captain Marvel series and the other stories that. Uh, it was taken up by the, the British comic publishers as Marvel Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was never really as good in those days as, uh, uh, as Beck and um, McRoboy. Never. Sure. Uh, do, you, do you do any uh, comic book stuff nowadays? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, I'm drawing uh, Commando War Stories, which are uh, digest-sized uh, comic books, 64 pages, uh, usually about two pictures per page. Okay. Uh, and they've been going for quite a long time now. And one of the few uh, artists still actually drawing them. Uh, it doesn't occupy a lot of the time. It's just the sort of thing that, um, I mean, at my age, I'm, I'm just drawing merely to keep my uh, textbooks uh, Tax accounts open so uh-huh. I can claim uh, tax relief on, uh, on things like lighting and, um, and that sort of thing. Sure. So I want to, I want, at my age, you know, uh, I mean, I'm 75, uh, I consider myself semi retired. I'm mm-hmm. doing some coloring work uh, which has been published based on uh, Ron Turner, who, who was uh, an artist who drew in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, various base characters I'm calling that for publication that's coming out on a more or less regular basis and then and the, the rest of the time I want to do my own stuff and probably try to get it published in France as graphic novels oh well, that's awesome <laughs> well I, I've really got into comics t- to try and do my own stuff and it's, it's not until now when I've got the time I can actually uh, get around to trying to do it it's a case of writing my own stuff and drawing it as well. Mm-hmm. So I've got complete control over what I do. Um, uh, drawing science fiction and, uh, and some fantasy stuff. But uh, the science fiction with my engineering background, is, uh, I, I, I like to get it fairly accurate. It's, uh, it's not... Um, It's not the sort of stuff um, which is, is normally done in comics, where you know it's, it's swooping around in spaceships, shooting them, shooting up the bad guys. It isn't like that. Uh-huh. It's um, it's more serious stuff. Well, it's nice you're able to uh, put your your technical background together with your comic background and and uh, kind of mesh the two together. Well, yeah, yeah. My uh, technical background led to me being interested in astronomy and astrophysics. And um, uh, I like to bring that into the, the stories. I like to draw... I, I, I'm thinking of stories which um, uh, are set in backgrounds which um, are realistic, really, as far as I can get them. I used to be. Um, I used to like Arthur C. Clarke's um, science fiction stories. Oh yes, of course. Uh, and Hal Clement. Um, I don't know whether you're familiar with his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Hal Clements did Mission of Gravity, which was about a, a huge planet larger than Jupiter, uh, but rotating quite quickly so that at the, uh, the equator, the centrifugal force reduced the, the gravitational effect. Okay. So it was suitable for uh, uh, a human being could survive there. But uh, as you move towards the poles, the, the gravity increased to a fantastic level. Uh, but it was a realistically conceived planet. And all the things that Tal Clemens wrote were realistically conceived. It was, it was a bit like another science fiction writer called uh, Robert L. Forward. Um, he, everything he wrote uh, was realistic. Uh, I, I like the realistic side of it that you can build something around that mm -hmm. and, and work out how how the aliens might think under those circumstances because they have a completely different outlook to human beings. Sure. Uh, I don't think of human uh, of aliens in terms of um, uh, humans uh, um, with um, strange faces, no. which you get <laughs> <laughs> a lot of television programs or. or Films, you know, it's. Uh, I think of uh, human beings. Uh, I think of aliens in terms of uh, the alien environment that they're in. It's. Uh, it's something which, you know, it, 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 when I, when I talk to people, I, I usually get talking about horses, which are a, a big interest in mine. Yeah. Uh, I like riding, but when you. Think it, when you try to think of it in terms of a horse, uh, how a horse thinks, you've got to stop trying to think. Uh, you've got to stop anthropomorphizing them. You have to think, why, why do they do that? Why, why, why do we think they're stupid and yet they can survive in a field where we drop dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, the, the way horses behave. Uh, and then you think about the characteristics of a horse. Think of a horse's eyes. The horse's eyes aren't like ours. Mm -hmm. They're on the side of the head. A lot of animals' eyes are on the side of the head. Uh, and it's, it's really only only humans and, and monkeys who've got the eyes at the front. Yeah. But if you're looking at something in front of you, you're looking... You, 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 you our two eyes are looking straight forward. We look up, our two eyes are looking straight up. Or down, we're looking down to left. The both looking to the left, but to the right, the both looking to the right. But if the horse looks to the right, it can look to the right with its right eye. Its left eye will be looking into its head. Yeah. So it must have two completely different views. Its eye can't look into its head because it can't turn around because of the optic nerve. So it must have two completely different views of the world. Yeah. Uh, and it. It's strange to actually think about that. How, how does its brain put the two <laughs> pitches together? I mean, our, our brain puts two pitches together, but it's, um, it, it's, it seems to be a much more simple process than it would be with a horse mm -hmm. or, or with any any other animal. Yep. I went into how, how the two halves of your brain work and uh, that's that's another area that I've uh, gone into in, in science fiction. And it's you know it's uh, it's fascinating mm -hmm. trying to trying to make things which will actually work or could actually work. 
um, and taking out the, the things that you know can't work. It's um, the universe out there is far more fantastic than we than, than we would even conceive of. You know. Yeah, it's a it's a big vast space out there, and there's a a, a lot of things to to if you just stop and think about. It, there's a lot of stuff to consider. Oh yeah, yeah. And the more planets that they discover nowadays, um, I mean, I think they discovered something like a, over a thousand planets now. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every one different in some respect. Uh, they're all weird planets. Uh, and then you, uh, I've been studying how life possibly evolved on the on the Earth, uh, and things like continental drift. Uh, the ice ages, the um, what happened to the possible civilization uh, on the the edge of continents when the, the ice melted. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's really fascinating to think to to work in work with that. The first story I'm doing in science fiction is based on a planet which is um, tidally locked. So that one one side always faces the star, and the other side is um, is facing away from the star, so it's dark. Okay. It's got it's got no moon, so uh, the, the people or the creatures rather living on the the sunward side never see any stars, they never see a moon, they never see the sun moving in the sky. They have no concept of time. The only thing that uh, Features as time for them is when they're born and when they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so imagine living in a society which which has no concept of time at all. That would definitely be interesting. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the one of the, the side lines into the story that I want to do. That um, uh, as far as they're concerned, they don't, they don't just don't understand what time's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there are other ways of thinking about things. Um, and the, the features that I want to try to bring into the story that I want to do, if I've got time before I pop my clogs and get boxed and burnt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of time, uh, you spent quite a bit of time working on Doctor Who magazine, and on behalf yeah. of all the Doctor Who uh, comic readers over the years, I want to thank you for, for what you did, and uh, yeah. just tell you how much it's been a pleasure to talk to you today, and uh, and just uh, you, your work on Doctor Who is just amazing stuff, and if anybody hasn't checked it out, they, there's various different ways to, to see your artwork, and uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with John Ridgway. Um, like I said, I did it quite a few years ago, but I think there's still a lot of relevant information in there, and it's always good to learn about these creators that have uh, enriched the history of Doctor Who with their work on the Doctor Who comics. And um, I guess I should mention that for those of you who are maybe new to Doctor Who panel to panel, a lot of my previous episodes aren't available 
say, via iTunes, because I've had to take them down due to storage constraints. However, if you go to archive.org and do a search for either Doctor Who Panel to Panel or my name, Jeremy Bement, you can find all the previous episodes of Doctor Who Panel to Panel as MP3 files that you can download to your listening device and uh, listen to them that way. So, I hope you enjoyed this interview with John Ridgway. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Panel to Panel. And until next time, this is Jeremy Bement saying good health, uh, stay happy, and bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. Thank you.